Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I was the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to now. I will down to Anfield and we'll see them. What you're doing down here, you surely, man. Ah, nothing kicks off a week of podcasting quite like a definition from the Oxford Dictionary. So here goes. Anticlimax, Ken. Murph. Noun. A disappointing end to an exciting or impressive series of events. Example. The rest of the journey was an anticlimax by comparison. And that just about sums up Manchester City's 2018 Premier League title triumph, I believe. You are listening to Monday's Second Caps Football Podcast. Hi, guys. Hey, how are you I'm sure it was quite a thrill to play golf with Tommy Fleetwood, as Pep Guardiola was doing, or watching the United match in your wife's granny's house, like Vincent Company, before heading down the local, uh, as he did. But I couldn't help feel that City fans are a little bit shortchanged by the ending to what had been a pretty spectacular journey. What do you reckon? Well, uh... Who cares if you're a City fan? We're going to be talking to a City fan on today's podcast, so he can answer some of these questions. Yes, we're going to talk to Howard Hawken from the um, 93.20 podcast. Um, they did win it at Old Trafford, I suppose, in some ways. The title was was eventually won at Old Trafford by Manchester City. The, as the West Brom fans, Manchester City, we, we've won it for you. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it's anticlimactic, but not... I actually agree with Jose Mourinho in that he said... I mean, it, it, it happens that I agree with, with Mourinho today when he said, I'd be very disappointed if I was Man City saying that, that, saying that we won the title because, or if people said they won the title because we lost to West Brom, you know, they won because they were the best team. So it's kind of been known for a long time that they were going to be the uh, champions and the only way that they could have done it in a sort of final type setting, you know, kind of, was by mm. well, winning the game that they perfectly. lost last week. Yeah, it was set up perfectly for them to do just that, to... Apply the cherry on top of the... So that didn't happen, but they came back. You know, they went to Tottenham, they they gave Tottenham a good beating. Um, and then Manchester United 
flopped against West Brom again. The yeah. Manchester United killers, West Brom. I know the, the Manchester United killers gone down to the championship. Uh, unfortunately <laughs> for them, if they could just play West, Manchester United every week, then things would probably be looking a bit. Do you see McLean's quote? Actually, McLean played quite well. Yeah, they had a, f- a little feature on him on Match of the Day two last night. Yeah, well, McLean, McLean said, "Well, of course, it always helps when you go out and pay, uh, when you go and pitch, actually knowing what you're supposed to do." <laughs> Um, subtle, so subtle dig there, it, not that subtle. <laughs> uh, I mean, quite critical, I would say, of Alan Pardew. But look, there you go. Um, it's a pity that their uh, improved form came a little bit too late. If the Premier League has been limping along a little bit for the last while, the football season has been saved by the Champions League. Last week was epic. The comebacks, the controversy, and my own personal highlight: Ken here's innovative use of modern media technology to bring you the latest competition news featuring Gigi Buffon. Uh, like the waiting Robert De Niro, he was talking Italian, Owen. But we do not have a subtitle facility on this audio podcast. I know we do have, though, Ken. That's the weekly voice. So uh, roll the tape there, please, Simon. When you come to the Bernabeu to play in the quarterfinals, you need the players, coaches, fans, and referees. Il coraggio per poter to be at this level. <laughs> Otherwise, he should be in the stands, eating crisps, drinking Sprite, Coca-Cola, or orange juice, or whatever he wants. Now that, my friends, is cutting-edge journalism. Yeah. I, we totally missed the Bananarama reference. So I, I didn't get it at all. Then people told me it was a Bananarama ref, uh, reference, and I still didn't get it. No. Not a lot of people would at this stage. So, well, I'm sorry, Ken. I mean, this will be I'd, my mother. My ears are always attuned to your uh, little hints. That is the pop kind culture of references, but cutting edge journalism and pop culture references that are available every week on the World Service. If you're not already signed up, it's only a fiver a month for daily shows throughout the week. Secondcaptains.com is where to do it. Let's report on some sport, please, Ken. Have you seen actually Buffon just keeps going with this? Still going on Oliver. Oh, I saw. I didn't realize they were fresh quotes. Oh my God, he just keeps going. It's so stupid at this stage. I mean, look, it, you know, in the immediate after, at the in the moment, I can understand him losing his head. In the even in the immediate aftermath of the match, I can understand him still being furious. But now, like, he just needs to shut up. Like, he needs to realize. I mean, as he says, he needs to realize it was a clear penalty. But go on. Yeah, I mean, look, it was it was a penalty, but like it's you know basically he's saying I'd say it all over again. Uh, I don't have to make up for anything. I'm a human being who puts passion, sentiment, and anger into what I do. You find a way to speak right or wrong that in times can seem excessive, but this is me. I am Gigi Buffon. <laughs> like that's exactly why you need to shut up because it's it's completely it, there's a total imbalance here between you and Michael Oliver. You know what I mean? You're like a, a football hero. Uh, adored by millions, he's uh, a young referee trying to make his way in the game, and it's and it's it's actually pretty disgusting for you to keep heaping this abuse on him. It's not so much the abuse that you personally are dis- as as Buffon says. Um, uh, what one expresses uh, at that moment are sentiments and thoughts that are strong, in certain respects raw, but the sentiments of a man who won't hide behind a veil of hypocrisy and instead throws out what is, what is bubbling in his guts. Now, what's usually bubbling in your guts? It's not, the, it's not the kind of stuff you should be throwing around. Let's just leave it at that. You shouldn't be throwing it at people. You shouldn't be making a big deal out of it. You should be quietly disposing of it, you know, in a discreet setting. It's not 
it's not the kind of stuff that that you should be making uh, public all the time. And it's it, he's sicking on a load of Juventus uh, fans onto Michael Oliver, and it's complete. It's completely wrong, and he should stop doing it because he's making himself look like an idiot. I we don't even want to talk about him anymore because it's not important anymore. Um, well, I mean, he, he he should stop, but there's more important things to talk about, such as uh, Manchester City. Oh, now you called it an anticlimax. Well, in comparison to the opportunity that they blew to win it against Manchester United. Yeah. Okay. I mean, sure, there could have been uh, there could have been ways that it could have been more exciting. But uh, none of that uh, deterred Eti Salat uh, UAE, who are the telecoms company, who are um, a Manchester City sponsor, who released a video which has been an enormous, a tremendous viral hit. Uh, it's been viewed millions of times already, and it's brought uh, football fans of the world together in a way that few videos. Um, which are, you know, partisan. I mean, this is celebrating Manchester City. A few such partisan videos. Are we, should we hear a little? We hear a little? <laughs> so, I think they've used the If You're Happy in Your Nappy tune. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Is it used further? It's, it's come in maybe a popular air. Mm. If you, and, and well, so, that's the one that uh, immediately pops into my head. Is, if, if you're, you're happy, happy in your nappy, happy, clap your hands. Clap your yeah. hands. Uh, I mean, they, they've got... So it's it's the Man City players, obviously. They're, they're all there. I, I would say they had some crack probably filming this ad because they're, what they're required to do is simulate, uh, uh, you know, I guess a last-minute title, an Aguero-type mm. title win, and they have to celebrate with each other and sort of jump on each other's shoulders and go, yeah... And and then in the stands they're being roared on by this uh, by by this massive of Manchester City supporters, mm. um, who are singing this "If You're Happy in Your Nappy" song, and I mean it's uh, it's amazing. I I loved watching this because it, what it reminded me of was those racist Hollywood movies from you know the the golden age of of these movies has passed. But like where you'd have the American Embassy is under siege in you know. Mm. The nameless Middle Eastern country, and outside the embassy is the undifferentiated Arab mass, who got God knows what these people are angry about. But they're angry about it. They're all gesticulating and punching the air and chanting burning and, things. Yeah, burning. Yeah. There's burning American flags. Yeah, you know, yeah. undifferentiated Arab mass. And and here we have now, <laughs> oh, the boots on the other foot. Now I don't know what if you call this occidentalism or what, but you've got all of these. This this just mass of stereotypical English football supporters, <laughs> right? These polystyrene clad poltroons, <laughs> right? Uh, all with these with these big uh, simpering uh, grins on their face, chanting along to this absolutely amazing. And and you see, th- there's cuts to to like uh, there's a couple of um, you know I guess probably Emiratis uh, mm. who were kind of looking at, on their phones looking yeah. at the, oh, yeah. you know look at this the lads you know the boys have the boys have done it uh, and then you see the city fans all march out the stadium and across the bridge singing singing the same song um, heading towards the boozer I believe they ended up in the boozer well probably you know the way they, they like to drink like pigs and uh, the stomp and and the, the, like the American idiom like stomp your feet if you're happy that yeah. they did it stomp your feet you know the use of a singular city has done it yeah uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> city has done it someone shouts um, quite amazing uh, quite quite an amazing work but it, I, I think it tells you a lot about what, you know who's uh, 
who's holding the whip hand in the in the world these days? Mm. Who's got who's got the money to spend on uh, on making these types of videos? Um, but look, I mean, they're they're not alone. I mean, City, you're not alone in having filmed outrageously stupid things for sponsors. I mean, the celebration of like winning the championship, I think, is maybe adds another layer to it. But I mean, we've all seen. I did laugh at the, when I saw the players. The players are all jumping at each other's shoulders. Yeah, you know, and I'd say it was actually pretty funny to do. Like when they had to, when they actually, had, they're like, "What? So you're serious? Okay, we have to pretend like we won the title. Oh, okay, we can." Yeah. We to can. echo Murph's point, I would say they have to do something along those lines once a week at a minimum. Mm. Once or twice a week, they have to. They're just told what to do. Debase the themselves in front of the corporate well, don't, sponsors. Don't forget, you know, there is there is an Amazon documentary about City coming out, uh, which hopefully will be good. I mean, I, I saw there was one about Juventus, which I couldn't watch. I, I mean, hate, I watched a bit of it, and it just wasn't that good. I hate, yeah, I, I hate judging something I haven't seen. So I'm actually going to not say the sentence I was going to say, Ken. Yeah. Please continue. You don't think it'll be good? <laughs> the first team Juventus I saw getting panned by critics. I, just, I say was, critics, just people who are watching it, but... So that immediately put me off watching it. It was a bit, which dull. is a little bit unfair. Maybe I should have at least given it an episode. I mean, if it's a, if it's a patch on being Liverpool, this is going to have to be good. You know, Sunderland, by the way, have a similar documentary coming out. Ooh. Sunderland, who've, who've just who's getting relegated from the Championship. Well, now that sounds <laughs> proper. Ju- so, I mean, like it's not even a choice. If I had, to, if I could only watch one of those, their tragic hero is Darren Gibson. Well, yeah, Gibson, he, he's no longer, yeah. no longer there, of course. Um, but look, you know, so there's a lot of there's a lot of coverage today. City have won the league. Uh, a lot of the papers had their um, uh, ready to go. How the inside story of how City did it. Uh, a few decent pieces around. Um, Jack Pitt Brook making the point that in the Independent that is that you know this is the, you have to look at you have to give Guardiola a lot of credit here for not compromising what he's you know he people said you can't this isn't going to work for you even last season they were mediocre enough you know a lot of vulnerabilities got trashed by you know Everton and Leicester and it looked like maybe and instead he just kind of doubled down you know it should be recognised this is what he's done and they're going towards quite an extreme title win I mean PSG won the league in France uh, also by beating Monaco the champions 7-1 you know so grotesquely imbalanced league but they've got the same record as Man City like they've got eighty-seven points from thirty-three matches. It's the same record. So, uh, and and Manchester United only have one more point than the second-place team in France. So you know it's kind of like uh, there's 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 a lot of imbalance going on here. But in City's case, it's not because they've outspent the competition to the ridiculous degree that PSG have. It's also because they've done a much better job. Although they have outspent the competition, has he not compromised? In certain cases, though, he spent the first half of last season talking down to journalists about how little they understood about why Claudio, Claudio Bravo is such an important goalkeeper for him and how he's staying mm-hmm. at this club. Drummed him out of there. Yeah. He also, but he's still there. Well, yeah, drummed him out of the first team. Yeah. He also... Well, this is a point that came up in the Eamon Dunphy Ken Early Respect Fest here on this podcast. This very podcast a few months ago. Dunphy said that he actually plays more... They're more comfortable playing a long ball when necessary than they were last season. I don't well, know if that is borne out by statistics or not, but that they that when they are stuck, when they really are struggling, in, in, uh, when they really are under pressure at the back, they will lump it forward every now and again. Well, they pay, they play fifteen short passes for every long pass, which is uh, more than, for instance, the the second highest ratio or the second highest ratio of short to long passes is Man City last season which was 11.5 to 1 I think so 15 to 1 
is is a level of short to long passes that has never been approached in English football, at least as long as they've been measuring this, which I think only goes back to 2011. But I, I'm guessing it didn't happen before 2011 either because I don't remember the, mm. you know, the croquette um, champions, whoever they were, you know, the who, like, because we, we would have heard a lot about those guys <laughs> if, if it happened pre, pre. So what I'm saying is maybe they are more comfortable playing on balls. I mean, for instance, company put Gabriel Jesus in for a goal against Tottenham with a long ball. Which I think probably has to do with the fact that Tottenham like to play a really high line, so they're a team that a long ball can maybe work against more often than not. So, okay, but in terms of whether City are more comfortable doing it, I mean the evidence doesn't suggest so. But uh, you know, there. I mean, there's a few pieces. Sunday Times had one which I don't think was actually credited to any individual. Quite a long article. Talk. We're giving giving a few little background details, and actually, the so- Guardiola often walks around in his socks. Is a detail that finds its way into a f- into a few of these pieces. Uh, he will walk along the corridors of the first team building in his socks, talking to stuff. How are you? What have you been up to? He will ask, handing out his tofurkey sandwiches as he goes. <laughs> I don't think he would. I think he would. It would just be naked tofurkey. He wouldn't have. He wouldn't yeah, go the with there. the bread. No, that's ridiculous. Song. Um. He has an unrelenting belief in his own methods, but he always wants feedback from his players and coaches too. He is not an authoritarian. Do you like the way we play? He asked his players in a training session early in the season, conscious perhaps of the failures of last term. The answer was unanimous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would have loved to have been the man who put his hand up there and said, why don't we just give it long? <laughs> <laughs> I hope Amazon got that bit yeah, yeah, on, yeah. on tape. Do you like the way we play? Uh, you know, feedback is welcome to match days too. This is, I'm just reading from Sunday Times article. In the final team meeting before City's coach departs from the CFA, makes the two-minute drive across the road to the Etihad Stadium, Guardiola's last words to his players are always, any questions? And note there, always his last words to the <laughs> players, <laughs> which I guess means... No one ever has any questions. No one's ever asked a question. Ah, I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have. He, you know, there's no, there's no problem with discussion. But do you like the way we play? I think that was one of those. That was a rhetorical question. Um, personality of the players. Bernardo Silva is some crack, apparently. This season, he's been pelted with eggs by his teammates, uh, thrown into a swimming pool fully closed, and on another occasion, his colleagues spray-painted his shoes black and hung them from the ceiling by the laces. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> the crazy guy. Sorry, yeah, we didn't know what to do with that. But uh, outside the the Sterling outside of the foot detail. Sterling did an interview a couple of a few days back where he talked about how Guardiola had told him to stop using the outside of his foot to control the ball or to move down the wing because it slowed him down. And this is one of those things where it's like I'm not I'm not operating at a sufficient technical level like Raheem Sterling before he got this advice. I'm not a, I'm not at a sufficient technical level to tell you why that should always be the case. But it it is an example of how Guardiola can give these kinds of um tips to already extremely accomplished players without them looking at him going like happened to poor old Rafa. Rafa supposedly told Luka Modric to stop playing passes with the outside of his foot please because you know, they're less accurate than the inside of the foot passes. And Modric is like, mate, listen, I am Luka Modric and playing outside of the foot passes is what got me where I am today. So, you know, with all due respect. I mean, I don't know if, if Modric took that insolent tone, but he was kind of, understandably, I feel, thinking to himself, really, Rafa? I, you know, I, I, respect, I respect your input as to where you want me to be in relation to the rest of the players. Yeah, and your job, kind of Rafa, I think Modric is thinking, is to open up that pitch for me, 
to work out a system that I, your most skillful player, yeah, or certainly one of them, gets to gets his bit of time with the ball to hit these outside of the foot passes. Yeah. yeah so, but you know, t- taking technical advice from someone like Benitez is just mm, difficult. But if it's Guardiola, then okay, he probably knows what he's talking about. You know, it's it's it is an advantage that he has, uh, that he, or that he brings. So. There is the, the question. I mean, City can still break the record. Uh, of the, I think they can break the 100-point barrier, which hasn't been done. I think the record is 95 points. Um, would this make them the best Premier League team? I mean, you could say, well, yes, they have the most points. If they have the most points, then they must be the best team. But I think that would be wrong. Yeah. I think there's also an argument that this is one of the worst Premier League, like the standard of team in the Premier League this year. I, I don't think you can completely ignore that. I don't know about that. I mean, didn't they all get out of their Champions League groups? There's five teams. Well, yeah, that's the... F- well, I'm talking more about the bottom... Ele- all of the teams below Everton this year, basically. Mm. And there are why a lot are you, of them. Why, why, why do you draw that cut-off point below Everton? Well, I, I, I mean, Everton, I Everton some, were, I, were appalling in Europe. Yeah. I mean, this was, this was when things were going badly wrong. Yeah. I mean, when they had, they had Barol Unzi as the... Yeah. Oh well, no, well I'm, 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 I'm using Everton basically as... I have some friends of mine who are Everton fans and they reckon this is as bad as Everton have ever been and yet there they are in ninth which mm. would lead you to think that there are a lot of bad teams yeah. in the Premier League this year well I don't know really I mean there. I think there are a lot of good teams I think it's unusual to have so many very good teams and I, you know even Chelsea I would, I would put in that bracket I mean and even though they haven't been close to contending for the title I still think that they are a good team you know, they've got a lot of good players. I mean, things have not gone very well for them this season, but you know there's a lot of there's a lot of ability in Chelsea. I think you've got you, a lot of those teams have been have been really beating up on the smaller teams this year. You know they've they've had to play five or six sort of top teams. It's quite difficult. You know what I mean? And I don't know. I don't. I don't think if it's as, if it, I don't really think it is as bad as all that. But I mean, the question would be, you know, who are the best? Who are actually the best Premier League team? I mean, I don't know what your opinion of this own is on. Well, I'm glad you saw it, Ken. I've been busily trying to look up the league table when the Arsenal Invincibles played, just yeah. to see if Murph's point stacks up here. Mm-hmm. Head, but some pretty bad teams back then as well. You know, Blackburn. Everton were actually narrowly uh, above the relegation zone. Well, six points, but one place. Leicester City were pretty bad back then. Leeds got relegated. Wolves, Portsmouth, Birmingham City were a Premier League team. Bolton Wanderers. I don't know if it's. I don't know if this I mean, year yeah, is not- notably weak. I've heard people say that, but I don't really I think people forget how bad some of the teams are every season. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? The teams that are down at the bottom of the league or in the bottom half of the league are, are, are not great and have never been. Although you still get the cliched idea that every game's a tough game, and there are there, there are probably enough shock results that bear that out from time to time. Long-winded way of saying, Ken, I'm not going to give Man City the. Um, Best Premier League team of all time tag just yet. Who would you give it to? Well, they're right in front of me here. Possibly Arsenal's. Arsenal's invincibles. You go for Arsenal. 90 points, 26 wins, 12 draws, no defeats. I would actually go for the United treble team. Yeah. Because I think, I mean, even though they, maybe they won the league on 79 points or something, which wouldn't get you close to the league now. Um, I just think that there's more, there's more, involved in being a great team than I mean for instance I don't I think if, if the Manchester United team that won the treble played the one that won the Champions League in 2008 they would lose they would they would lose probably 1-0 uh, 
or or they lose on penalties after a one all draw. But I think they lose. Like the, the uh, 2018, I think was better in that. I think man for man, the players had more ability. Tactically, they were much. Uh, they were for, way ahead. You know, like they they kind of gone through a bit of a revolution in that time. They they understood how to defend. They weren't sloppy the way that the treble team sometimes was. But I think that there is a lot more to it than just playing good football, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Like, there's also a kind of a charisma which has to be taken into account because I think that's what makes the impression on people, really. Which is not to say that the 2018 lacked that. I mean, they had Ronaldo, who was, you know, won the World Player of the Year that year. But, you know, so many players in that team, you know, Keane and Beckham and, like, Schmeichel... <sighs> I don't know. Big personalities. What do you mean? What do you mean by charisma? How, how does that team have more charisma? Say, if we're looking to define it, than the Arsenal Invincibles that had Henri and I just Arsenal Football Club. Pires. I just don't think the United treble team would have been knocked out of Champions League by Wayne Bridge. I mean, maybe it's you know, it's it's a they, they had so many great games that season. I think this is maybe one of the one of the things about it. There was like the the Champions League was was an unbelievable campaign. They, I mean, I'm talking about what's the best Premier League team, but they played in the Premier League. I mean, all of these teams played in the Champions League. I think you kind of have to have have done very well in Europe as well to to be considered in this. But, you know, there was the, the group stages, there was like two three-all draws against Barcelona, which had some incredible goals. Two draws against Munich, Bayern Munich as well. They beat Inter with Ronaldo and the team in the quarters. They had this amazing tie against Juventus in the semifinals and won the final with a last-minute, you know, um, yeah, see, it's kind of a weird one because what you're saying there is their greater fallibility led yeah. to you like uh, admiring them more. There, it was easier for them for you to say, "Wow, what a team!" because they were playing in brilliant games. I mean, mm. like with City, it's like they had the brilliant game against Liverpool, which they lost. I mean, this is the thing that's often said about, say, the Kerry Gaelic footballers. You know, yeah. anytime Kerry are involved in a classic game, it's it's the game they lose. You know, yeah. uh, because if you're a, a team that wins a lot. If you lose, therefore you're in classic games, you know, and, and yeah. like so. There's if that level of fallibility makes people like you more, and City haven't had that really this year. Yeah, and they also the other th- the other thing that City didn't have is another team that was really putting it up to them in the league because that season started off with Man United getting crushed by Arsenal in the Charity Shield, and then again uh, a few weeks later, another three they were beaten three nil, and then again three nil by Arsenal who were the champions, and looked miles ahead of them. They were like, Arsenal are playing a different sport. Uh, you know, Ferguson is is yesterday's news. That, that's kind of what it was like. So to kind of go from that to ultimately knocking out Arsenal in the semi-final. What I'm saying is that, you know, a lot of things went their way. There's, there's a lot of intangible factors, like being lucky, being in great games, having good opponents, mm. you know? You, you need a Moriarty in these situations. You do. You know what I mean? Like, you really do, uh, because otherwise... It all kind of blends into one. You know, our city, they've been good all year and, yeah, they win the league. But where was the drama? Like, where was the... Yeah. the and, and Boring. Maybe, yeah, maybe the maybe what they needed was to beat Man United 4-0 in that game last week. Yeah. You know, like, that, like that, uh, that you're looking for the crowning performance in a season that kind of sums it all up and you say, right, okay, yeah. there you are. There's the, I think it would have to... I think it would have had to have been 5-0, actually. <laughs> I think 5-0 is the, is the benchmark for total annihilation mm. you know 
Uh, We're not asking too much of this Man City team. They just needed yeah. to win five 0 against Man United. Or or three two three two would have been okay if as long as they'd been two 0 down. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. two there's two great ways to win a game. One of them is is just narrowly against adversity, and one of them is total. You know Barcelona against Madrid a few yeah. years ago. The five, but five you need to, you need to score five. Um, <laughs> so look, City have fallen short in, in this in this sense. There's still time. There's you know there's some there's a lot of good players there. Um, speaking of Manchester United, I mean I don't you know it's it's maybe it's unfair to City win the league and we talk about Man United's treble team. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry about that, uh, but uh, I mean Manchester United yesterday. Uh, Pogba taken off at nil all, and then they lose one nil to West Brom. Now, you know, bearing in mind what happened last week, you know, this is still going on. And Mourinho comes out with this stuff. We were masters of complication. Oh, another flick, another turn, another trick, another dribble. Now we know who the target of this is. I mean, Pogba, I think, is two point eight dribbles per match, which is an uh, absurd number for a central midfielder. You know, because he's really good at dribbling. So this is all the time, but this is not what a this is not the idea of what a central midfielder should be. I'll tell you what I told him after the match. This is Mourinho um, talking about Pogba. He said, "I don't expect you to be man of the match every week. I don't expect you to score two goals every week, but I expect you to be consistent." If you're asking me, do I expect him to be man of the match every week? No. If I ask him, to, if I expect him to score goals every match, no. But I expect him, and that's the challenge he has to put to himself. To keep a certain stability and not to have the good match and the so-so match and the bad match. He has to try to keep that level of stability. And from that stability, of course, will appear the special match with the special performance like it happened against City. Now, to me, this strikes me as quite a big slamming of, of Pogba. Again, you know, just the week after his best game for Manchester United. A, a game in which, by the way, he, he seriously, you know, saved Mourinho's... Hide, big time, and and here we have this, you know, I mean, what's going on here? He, he Mourinho after the game, obviously the city of whatever you saw him, he walked off sort of without making eye contact with with, with the stand with the fans uh, down the tunnel. It's a long walk to the corner, um, but afterwards again was doing, was doing this thing that he started to, that he does this season of of in the moment of defeat he starts talking about all his past victories. Like against Sevilla, it was well. I've knocked out Man United a couple of times. Like it's not like it's not like they're so special, you know. I've I've come here a few times and knocked out Man United. This time it was you know I have eight titles and three Premier Leagues. The last Premier League was not twenty years ago; it was three years ago. I know how to win. I keep talk, keep keeps talking about his eight Premier Leagues. You know what I mean? Okay, fair enough. I mean he's but he but he also talks about uh, because I won eight championships, I was not in the moon with the victory against City. It was only three points. It didn't make me feel super happy, but in my opinion, it affected some of the people that were too happy. Mm. So we know maybe it. looking at a certain central yeah. midfielder there. But yeah. the points, the, the quote that you read out about Pogba, if I read it correctly, it, it went on. He went on to make a point about training as well. That that stability, consistency has to be there in training every day of the week, which I thought was another dig. The type of which you could everybody can see what happens on the pitch on uh, match day, but for him to have a little pop at how he trains, even if it was quite a subtle one, uh, I don't again, maybe it wasn't that subtle at all. I kind of feel that's if you're if this is a battle for the affections of Manchester United supporters in some ways, or if you're trying to wage this political kind of a game, just putting this little seed of doubt into the minds of the people at the club or the fans about how hard how much this guy really wants it. 
I thought was a bit of a strategic play. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we, there was a story, you know, before Christmas that, that they had to send people around to wake him up, you know? That's not good. I mean, As in he's sleeping, he's not... He's, he's, supposed to, he's supposed to be here for training, and where is he? And they had to send people around to his house to bring him to training because he was... That's exactly the kind of story you hear about somebody so, in a positive way. Sometimes this guy's so relaxed, you know. He's so he's. <laughs> that, that, I don't think you hear that that in a positive. Not when way. it comes to training. I mean, it, often maybe when uh, they're on a bus to the big game, maybe. you know, yeah. he, he's so relaxed he's able to fall asleep on the bus to the match. Not he's so missing, relaxed he falls missing asleep. Training, training is basic. Just that's just not very good professionalism. I think there's a big decision coming up here for 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 Manchester United for Mourinho. Um, for Pogba because it's not working it hasn't worked for two seasons is it going to I I kind of feel as though if it's going to be like this all the time like he, he's, if he's complaining about dribbles dribbles in midfield that's what Pogba does I'm afraid maybe this guy just isn't to your taste but there's no point in them continuing to try to work together it's bad for both of them you know what I mean it makes Mourinho look bad because people are like oh how can you not get the best out of a talented player like Pogba he just doesn't like this type of football. And it, it's obviously not good for Pogba either because, you know, come on. I don't know what... Uh, I, I think they, it's, it's a nettle they're going to have to grasp. Can they, pretend, can they kind of say, this is going to work out in the third season, it's going to come together? Or is it a case of, we've got to change now, we've got to, we've got to move on? The stakes are kind of high for Mourinho. Does Mourinho have enough goodwill among the supporters and at the club that he could, at this point, get rid of Pogba? I think he does in the sense that if they had to choose, I mean, I don't know if if he's got like goodwill from everywhere, but he's got lots of people who say Mourinho knows how to win the league. You know, we've got to get behind Mourinho and Pogba. You know, he didn't turn up for training, and he's you know he hasn't really done a whole lot. You know, he, he's what, what's he really done? How many great games has he played for us? Not that many. You know, he's he's had his chance. He's failed. See you later, Pogba. We'll get we'll get in someone who I think. And, and and the fact is that Mourinho has political power. Has ha, He's got the power. He's the one who recently signed the contract. You only have power for a certain length of time. It's like, you know, the first 100 days. It's a bit longer than that, but they begin to forget about the contract after a while. But at the moment, he's he's at his most power. That's why after he signed the contract, it was like, right, you're, that's when he started dropping him. You know what I mean? I I think it's a, it's a big moment this summer because are they going to be, are they going to cut their losses or are they going to keep... Are, gonna, are they going to keep the faith? When he does this kind of thing is against West Brom and makes a big point of saying this isn't good enough, I wonder if there's a future in it. Look, you know, we, we shouldn't really talk about it anymore. Uh, we've probably given it too much importance already. But what else happened? Okay, the player... Of the, it's, it's only because the league is effectively finished now. There's not a whole lot more going on. Um, the player of the year shortlist is out. Um, Salah, De Bruyne, Sané, Silva. Silva shortlisted for the first ever time. Uh, which I was surprised by. They were asking Guardiola about this on Friday before the Tottenham game. Guardiola was very dismissive of the whole concept of individual awards, like a lot of managers are. Um, but Sané Silva, De Gea and uh, Kane... Who would your vote go to? Salah, at this point. Um, I mean, I was looking at it and, and really... Question, the question, though, is would I be voting at this point or would I already have voted for Kevin De Bruyne five weeks ago, you know? And even De Bruyne has voted for Salah, it turns out. I mean, he can't vote for a City player and he can't vote for himself. So I think if you can choose nobody from our team, I think Salah deserves it. Probably he's going to win anyway. He's been remarkable to compete with someone that scored that many goals. You're not going to win. 
That's <laughs> pretty. I like Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah. Like, like Murphy's mother, I'm a big Kevin De Bruyne yeah. fan. Yeah. He might, he, you know, I think he might still win just because he was, I mean, if you, if you think, and I have seen, say, for instance, Arsene Wenger expressed this view that it should also reflect what the team has done. Because he's another one of these managers who says, they shouldn't have individual awards, it's, it's a lot of nonsense. Mourinho as well, actually. They're, they're, uh, most managers, in fact, are like, I'm not interested in this in individual awards, it's bad, you know, it's, it's, it's creating egos, creating warped incentives. Players are chasing personal glory when they need to think in a collective way. Um, so I don't like this award. But, but, by the way, in Mourinho's case, he's like, where's my manager of the month award? <laughs> Another month... Uh, once again, I've been snubbed by the manager of the month panel. Um, but look, yeah, there is kind of a long tradition of the these brilliant teams not winning this award. A player from all these brilliant teams not winning this award. Yeah, I mean, all the way back to Genoa, wasn't it? In the treble winning season, yes, it was Genoa. Genoa, because because all the there was kind of who are you going to vote for? You're going to vote for York. You're going to vote for Beckham. Going to vote for Kane. You know, could have been any of those players for Manchester United. And I think lots of people kind of voted for hmm. one or you know one or the other of those, and Ginola ended up uh, bursting through. I enjoyed Salah's celebration at the weekend. What a goal! What a goal! And I just thought the celebration—it's as though he's now playing up to this image that he has of a cold-eyed goal he's like, scoring. He's like, I feel nothing. I feel nothing. I just got to score a goal. It's just like there against no City. Yeah, I, I, like I feel nothing. What well, you know? It's such you a great always way remember the first one. After after a while, <laughs> yeah. you just do it to see their faces change. <laughs> That's almost all I think. Did that. you see the photograph? There was a brilliant oh, photograph of it, of um, of the the Salah goal, and it's just after he's headed it, and he you can see him. He's sort of looking around to see where the ball's going, and the the goalkeeper is jumping. Ball's going over the keeper, mm. and Nathan Ake is is you can see Ake there. And you can see the all the faces in the stand. It's one of those brilliant photos right, of, yeah, of yeah, all, right. and everyone is going. <gasps> every, every single person has got like an O-shaped mouth of astonishment, yeah. including the linesman. If you see the li- the linesman is like, <gasps> they're football fans too, Ken. It's amazing, uh, brilliant, brilliant goal, brilliant photograph. Now I watched the uh, match, and I thought Salah is one of his worst games because he was clearly he's he's obsessed now with the with the top scorer. You know, he's like, I I want to score today. Have you seen it? Yeah, sorry, I just saw the photograph. It's really, really good. It's good. <laughs> Everyone is just, <gasps> um, but um, he's he's like, look, he, he talked to Simon Hughes. I saw Simon Hughes' article. It's like, uh, in the end, I'm just happy to score and help the team. Uh, if I had a choice between the Champions League and the Golden Boot, of course it would be the Champions League. No doubt the Champions League. To win the Champions League is huge for everyone. I don't care about the rest, he says, beginning to lie. <laughs> I, and then he says, I cannot lie. It is in my mind. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Like, you, see, you see him kind of, uh, he was sort of hurrying, uh, trying to shoot like a bit early. He seems a bit like angsty about his shots. Eventually scores a ridiculous goal um, and, is, and, and looks very likely to, I mean, Harry Kane is, is probably the only player who could s- score eight goals in the next three games. You could, he's done it. He usually does it at this time of the season. But uh, Salah is looking good at this point. Um, as to whether he will win, there's there's a lot of good arguments for De Bruyne to win. And he's the player who I said who I thought at the beginning of the season would win. And in a way, is it is it more difficult to do what he's done in terms of everyone expected great things from him, and he's delivered at every point, and he's done what was expected of him, or to kind of just come in and do like 
out of the blue. I mean, Salah, if you know, people who'd watched Salah playing for Roma were like, oh, this guy, you know, he's another player who left Chelsea. He's he's pretty quick, you know, he gets goals, you know, he might get 15 goals. No one is expecting 40 goals. And I think you've got, like, it's 31 in the last 30, you know, and they've also been getting more ridiculously spectacular. You know what I mean? It's not like, you know, tap-ins. It's not like just getting through the defense and he's he's scoring. I, I was looking at it, it's like 12 of the 31 goals he scored since November have involved beating one or more players, which is like a ridiculous figure. Um, so I think, to be honest, yeah, I think he has been the player of the year. Whether he'll win it is another question, but um, All right, I think he's been the best. For today's report on sport. So, Fita asked that question. Pretty strange. Yeah, very disappointed, yeah, but there you go. What have I become? My sweetest friend. I mean, at the time I thought that you were completely in the right. Everyone I know. But now I think. Goes away. Should have just played in, just played in. I'm surprised you're really asking that question. And you could have it all. No, but it doesn't matter really what you think. My empire Yeah, you weren't there at the time. I will let you down. You weren't an international player. I will make you hurt. And you hadn't had the frustrations I had. If I could start again. You've not played at the international level. hadn't been accused of taking an injury so I will keep what you think doesn't really matter I would find a way. we're joined now by Howard Hawken from the 9320 podcast so named after Sergio Aguero's title winning strike in 2012 Rory Smith tweeted last night that winning it like this is the opposite of an Aguero moment I hate to start off in a negative Howard but is it a little bit anticlimactic this year <laughs> I don't think I want another moment like Aguero because I think it aged me about ten years, to be honest. So, yeah, I don't. I think after that, after that goal, everything's a bit anticlimactic because it was just quite unique. Uh, I think personally, if you know, if you could write the script, we wanted, we wanted to win the title last Saturday against United, or we wanted to win it at home, you know, on a final whistle. But to be honest, if you win a title, I'm not really that bothered. They've not won it for four years, and it's a brilliant feeling to win the title whenever it happens. Thinking back over the season, can you remember at what point you thought this is definitely in the bag? Uh, about two weeks ago, as a as a pessimist, uh, I think the win at Chelsea was huge, uh, and that's a long time ago. I don't think it was in the bag then. That that was in September, wasn't it? That was in the very early stages. Yeah. It, it, yeah, September. So I don't think it was in the bag, but that was a huge statement because uh, the performance they put on just showed that this team had progressed from the previous season. Uh, I think Stoke, uh, Monday, I think it was Monday night game a few weeks ago. Literally, that was the point where there was not even, you know, no team could have messed it up from that point. So you mentioned that, you know, you could see the team had come on uh, from last season as early as September. You know, looking back over the whole season now, what is it that, how were they different? How did they evolve from the first season under Guardiola? I think it's quite simple that Guardiola has very complicated instructions for players. And I, I think it took a year 
there was a lot of doubters in that first year, the first season. Is you know, a lot of people wanted him to fail, of course, because someone who is fated and lauded from the heavens by a lot of writers will get a backlash, uh, and he's seen as arrogant. And I think a lot were quite happy to see him fail in his first season, and it seemed like the the players couldn't take on board everything he was telling them about positional sense and. And uh, I think it just took time. It takes a year for the, the, the players to understand everything it, because his instructions are complicated and it takes concentration across 90 minutes as well. It seems to me that City have become... City have a lot of respect from other players or they seem to... It's not just the fact that they pay so much money, although that is probably the main reason. But among a lot of clubs that pay a lot of money, it seems to me that... Uh, City have now got a good reputation as as the kind of club where a player can go and expect to improve as a footballer. Yeah, I think that's right. I think obviously everyone, you know, if if you don't don't like City, then you can easily mention the money, and obviously the money is a huge factor. Uh, but Guardiola, what he's done differently this year is is the improvement of existing players, and you're absolutely right. I think. You know, for the first time in City's history, you know, what Mancini did was amazing and even Pellegrini obviously had a, a stupendous first season, but this is the first manager we've had. I mean, just the attraction through Pep Guardiola makes City one of the most attractive propositions for any player in the world now. Uh, and it's probably through, you know, it's because of Pep Guardiola and there's so many players that have, that have improved. Obviously, they cost a lot of money, so you expect... A standard of performance, but when you go through the squad, there's not many that have really regressed in the past year. Uh, so yeah, I think as long as Pep's here, we could, you know, we can attract pretty much any player. There is, though. I mean, the last couple of weeks haven't been too easy for Guardiola. I mean, he he's been uh, obviously there's three three bad defeats in a row, uh, which which kind of soured the ending to the season, uh, and then. You know, a lot of the talk about Guardiola's own contribution to that. Did he, you know, is there is there something wrong with his approach to these games? Is there something, is there some reason why City seemed to be low on energy in, you know, just as the season kind of reached the climax? What do you think went wrong? I mean, it, it, the, the evidence is there. The blow-up happened. But to what do you, what do you put it down to? I would argue it's about 10 things at once. I thought, I think... Before the Spurs game, City hadn't scored after the 50th minute in a match for about eight games on the row. And City, early, you know, for the rest of the season, have scored late goals galore, second half goals especially, probably because the opposition have tied out. So I find it hard that fatigue was the reason. It looked like fatigue is the reason for a lot of those problems. Uh, but City did play for two weeks, you know, because they were out the FA Cup. They had a warm weather break in Abu Dhabi. They shouldn't have been tired. But I, it was. It was numerous factors. I can't really explain the second half against United because it made no sense. We should have been home and drive for the title that day. Uh, as for Liverpool, obviously Klopp is the best manager to, you know, against Guardiola. He, I think he, he knows how to deal with him. And there's also an argument that Guardiola, who's, yeah, I don't think he's been to the Champions League final for seven years. He, he maybe overthinks. And I think in that first leg at Liverpool... There's a lot of talk that City players would be cowed by the atmosphere and everything, and you know only they know. But I think 
you know, by putting an extra midfielder in and not playing to his own team strengths that perhaps he overthought it again. Yeah, and a lot of people have been making the point that, you know, the, uh, uh, ad nauseum since then that Guardiola ha- has some problem with the latter stages of the Champions League. But is there any chance, maybe, Harry, that the club still has an issue with the sort of rarefied um, environment of knockout football in the Champions League? Is there part of the the ethos of the club, the, be it the fans or people around the place, who still are maybe subconsciously holding on to a little bit of a smaller club mentality and that maybe they still don't feel that even though they're relentless in the Premier League, they quite, they quite belong in the semi-finals and finals of the Champions League. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. I mean, I think it's eight seasons on the row now. We've had to grow into the competition very slowly and gradually and obviously reach the semi-final a couple of years back, but have kind of, you know, not matched that. I know there's... You get a lot of criticism for City fans because obviously they boo the anthem and we think UEFA is corrupt and it'll, you know, for some that feel that seems childish. But the fact is, obviously we won the lottery ten years ago and it it has to seep in. Yeah, I think once they win it, we'll we'll love the competition. But the problem is when you come, you know, to us <laughs> the league uh, to me definitely the league is just the biggest thing still, and it's taking time to adapt that to think. Yeah, to think like the mentality of a Real Madrid or Barcelona that the, the, the Champions League is the ultimate prize. Well, and obviously, obviously, Guardiola's in to win the Champions League as much as the league, and our owners want City to win the Champions League. But yeah, the, the fans are definitely playing catch up, and they're, they're really from the first time we played it. There's not a lot of love for the competition, but it will come, and it will probably come when we actually win it. Uh, and I think that's when the attitude should change because do, at the end of the do, day, to be the best team in Europe is the ultimate goal for this team. Yeah, see, I find it really, I find it really interesting, Herod. What what exactly is going on here with with City fans in the Champions League? Because clearly Guardiola is there literally to win the Champions League. It's like the league almost doesn't matter if he only won the league in in his time at Manchester City. Say he say he won the league next year and he won the league again the year after that. He stayed for four years. Imagine yeah. and didn't win any Champions Leagues. He'd be laughed out of the place. People, it sounds unfair, but that's kind of what happened in in Munich. It was like, well, well, that went great. You know, he, we we got in Pep. We we sacked the guy who won the European Cup. We got him in. He won the league three times, and he failed in Europe. And there would, be, he's there to win the Champions League. I don't understand why City fans. You use the phrase, say, don't. There's not a lot of love for the competition. I mean, it's. It's just a, it's just the competition that all the top clubs play in, and the trophy at the end is the biggest, is the biggest trophy. I don't see why there should be a negative attitude towards this competition per se. Clearly, to win it would be, would be a fantastic thing, and it, and it's the thing all the players and staff are aiming at. So, what's the point of having a kind of a negative attitude towards it? No, I agree. It's what you said before. Yeah, the attitude, the attitude does need to change. Uh, I think. Well, I, but what I'm asking you is why? Why do you think it is that way? Because I, I, I'm just trying to think. I'm just trying to think of all the other, uh, you know, English clubs say who've been in Europe. But I can't think of any other club. I mean, I remember Leeds being in the Champions League years ago, and it was like the, the greatest thing ever. I mean, you know, whenever they're in, well, maybe Leicester actually. Leicester didn't seem too bothered by it the other season. But most of the time, it's like. You know, I, I can't remember any other set of supporters saying, "Oh, we're not sure if this is not for me." The Champions League. Yeah, it's possibly a part, partly an excuse. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, if you don't win it, you say, "Oh, I wasn't bothered." That it's easy to say we're not bothered about the Champions League when you don't win it. 
because it makes it easier to take on board. I think in the early years, that negativity, you're right, I think it is going, and Pep is here to change the mentality. But as alluded to earlier, the mentality of the fans has to change because it's still, it's been 10 years since the takeover, but we're still catching up to the idea of being Europe, the European elite. Now we've got, the, and but we hadn't won the league for four years, so it's still, as a fan, if you just won the league for four years, I'd be relatively happy because it's the bread and butter to me. But I agree, we have to change, we have to start thinking as a fan base that we're the, either, the equals of any other club in Europe and we have to get that first Champions League. As to why the fans do it, I still... I mean, you can't. it can't just be a hatred for UEFA. I think that's an easy way out. I think it's just catching up with the idea that we can win it. Uh, but there is no excuse now. They have to be have to be challenging for that trophy season after season now. Harold, I just want to ask about the, the relationship at the moment between um, Man City's fans and owners. Now, obviously, City's owners have spent more than any other um, set of owners in the game. I mean, the, the, the Qataris at uh, Paris Saint-Germain might catch up. I think they're going at a higher rate year by year, but they're still behind City. I mean, so from, from the point of view of... of um, of giving the club everything it needs to be successful, these owners really can't be faulted. They have been faulted in a number of uh, other ways, some of which we've yeah. talked about on the on the um, podcast. But I just wanted to ask you about the the video that was released last night uh, to to mark the the Manchester City win. <laughs> I mean, we've been, we've been talking about it already, but I mean, as a, as a City fan, what did you think when you saw this? I've only drummed up the courage to look at it about half an hour ago, to be honest, because I don't, I don't care. To, I mean, it, it, I you don't care. You no, can't. well, it, it's not. I don't. It's embarrassing, but I expect it. I've seen, you know, United ones that are utterly embarrassing. I've seen so much corporate rubbish across the. And I don't think it's really aimed at us. There, the the Mancunian Manchester City fan is not really who it's aimed at. It's a quite cringeworthy advert, and I'd rather it hadn't been made. But at the end of the day, it's this is what comes with you know it comes with money in the game, corporates, you know all the, yeah. the sponsorships and the huge amount of money. This is modern football, and it's quite embarrassing at times. But. I'd rather just forget the video ever happened. To <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're ever going to be allowed to forget that this the video happened. But you know, in terms of in terms of the general relationship with these owners or attitude towards them, I should say, rather than relationship with, mm. um, you know, every club and every club, there's there's always you know people complaining about what the people who run the club are doing, the board, the owners, whoever they are. There's every set of fan base has got complaints. I mean, at Manchester City, this might seem. The height of ingratitude. I know the the board did put that billboard there, Manchester. Thanks, Sheikh Mansour. I don't know if the fans voted on that billboard. I I, I doubt they were consulted. I when don't the, think so. No. I don't think so. But there must be, you know, at, at the risk of seeming, um, you know, thankless towards the people who funded the club. What are the things that Manchester City fans are annoyed about in terms of how, how the club is, been, or what do they think should be uh, should be done better? Oh, well, I can guarantee you, we're still. Uh... World class at moaning when we, <laughs> as a fan base, like most fans, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I'll, obviously, we're deeply appreciative that I think, apart from the, the money, what the owners are, they're actually very astute businessmen. So if they sold up tomorrow, are they, not... are they stupid? I thought that they were super rich uh, royals. I mean, is it not? Are they not just 
like a royal family who control vast fossil fuel wealth. No, no, it's not. I mean, I think we sold. I think uh, our owner made three billion on some Barclays shares soon after we took over us. So yeah, mate. I mean, I, I look at. I mean, the attitude of running a football club. More obviously, I've not delved into their their other business interests that much. But this is a club. I'm a supporter of a club that's been run as appallingly in the past. Now, obviously, it's easy to run a club well with money, much easier. Uh, but the little things they've done, you know, have been done more professional. They have taken on board what people have said. As for what we moan about, well, to be honest, we moan about modern football. The, the, what you said, that advert, corporate, the match day experience. Uh, nostalgia is a wonderful thing. Uh, it, it wasn't wonderful being a City fan all the time. Uh, when we were rubbish, the ground was not, main road was not packed out every week. And obviously, if you go back to the 80s, football was a terrible experience for a lot of people. But a lot of City fans were still looked back to terracing, you know, football and it being more real. And that's what, it's not our owner's fault as such because money was in this game, it dominated the game before, you know, before 2008 but I feel a lot of City fans really miss they miss the old match day experience above anything else yeah. and that everything is now we're seen as consumers customers not fans I, I'm i not that bothered I understand that the world changes and this is how it is uh, you know I'd love to go back to you know to how it used to be but that's not how the world works uh, but yeah there's definitely a, a feeling that there's a detachment between modern football fans, the players, and and owners nowadays. Uh, yeah, and, and one of the things maybe that's, that's that's lost is a kind of a sense of innocence, I suppose. I mean, there's there's like, you know, back in the day, nobody really knew much about who owned Man City. Nobody really cared about it either because it, it frankly wasn't of that much consequence. It was, you know, yeah. it was Manchester City Football Club. Whereas now, this that now, I mean, I wonder how you feel as a City fan, or have you? Presumably, spoken to other city fans about this these kinds of issues. When you know the the um, what happens in Abu Dhabi, you know, I'm, you know, we, we've spoken about this before on our podcast, um, and it comes up a lot in relation to city in terms of human rights in Abu Dhabi, uh, the sorts of abuses that have happened. Uh, our Manchester City, you know, kind of being used as almost a as a PR a part of a, a PR strategy. Um, and so on and so forth. And certainly, the way football football is the way it is, football fans tend to latch on to these things and throw them at supporters of rival clubs. United fans are always going on about this, you know. I mean, and it and it probably cheapens the thing to be used as like a a, a weapon in like Man United, Man City fan arguments. But you know, there is a there, there's a core of truth to this. You know, it's like. Do, does that make you feel uneasy about sort of supporting Man City? Is it something that you think about? Is it something that City fans, in your experience, tend to prefer not to think about? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, you prefer not to think about it. It's the easy way out. Uh, we preferred not to, and Thaksin Shinnatra was in charge, we preferred not to believe what we were reading. But thank God he only lasted a year because... Uh, yeah, we're, we're very good as, as football fans at you know ignoring a moral compass if <laughs> when your team's doing well, uh, it's not something that's be ignored. And 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 people who have a genuine interest in human rights, we can't you know city fans go, oh this is pathetic. Don't you're just having a go at the club. But then that's is the problem as you just alluded to. It all becomes very foggy when because it's hard to discuss it seriously when 
United fans or any fans are just you know who had no interest in Middle Eastern human rights are using it to attack a football club because you can't have a proper discussion. There's no, I don't think there's much doubt that our fans, you know, our owners did not have pictures of Neil McNabb uh, or Paul Lake on the wall when they were children. <laughs> They've done this for business reasons, for PR, to, and we're well aware of that. It's an uncomfortable truth, but football fans lose the moral compass very easily when trophies and great players come along. Uh, and it's a problem for all the football. I mean, it's not me. You know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and defend our owners, but obviously Middle Eastern money is awash across all the clubs in the Premier League, many of them. And I don't see a huge difference between sponsored, you know, having sponsors from Qatar or Dubai and owners. Obviously, there is a difference. It's a big step up. Uh, but again, it's another it's another part of modern football that we turn a blind eye to this. Uh, do I have a problem? I have a slight uneasiness about it, yeah. And I don't. And people who have a genuine interest should flag up these things because if it can help improve the situation there, then it sh- it should be brought to the fore. I just it be- I just don't want to. You know, it just becomes pointless when other fans use who had no interest before use it as a a tool for football. Uh, yeah, just to put the club down. So. Yep. All right, Howard. Listen, brilliant stuff. Thanks so much for talking to us today. Ah, you're welcome. We want you, Shane. Who's everyone's match-winning hero tonight? Uh, Shane Duffy. Two goals. <laughs> two goals, Salvo. Two goals and a tragic red card <laughs> that rules him out of the group stage of the World Cup. <laughs> 16 players there into the danger zone. Shots maybe yes! You go home to your mother and your father, you grew up to be strong. Determination etched all over that as he stretched for it to put it home. And Ireland lead 1 0. And now we've 85 minutes to sit at the edge of our seats. This happened before, and we know what can happen. Now it's up to them. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. 9320 is the name of Harris Podcast if you want some more Manchester City listening. One one bit of extra info I think I need after that chat, Ken, is what is the background to this UEFA bashing that Manchester City fans indulge in? Well, it, basically that, that City's relationship with UEFA seems to have been quite dysfunctional or they feel unfairly persecuted by UEFA. Um, there are things like um, was it Porto fans were were fined twenty grand for booing for ra- sorry racially abusing Mario Balotelli, and then City were fined thirty grand because their players were late onto the field for in another game. So I think that was that was kind of annoying. But but it but obviously financial fair play is a UEFA initiative kind of designed to contain Manchester City. You know, I mean, they are not not just Manchester City, but you're Manchester Cities of this world. You're Manchester Cities of this world. You're your Paris Saint Germain's. It used to be your Chelsea's, but you know they seem to be falling on hard times. Um, 
relative to to the to the old days um and they've you know they find them and they've done various things or uh there've been matches was it the city fans were angry because they were supposed to play Seska Moscow and the game was they announced kind of shortly before the game oh it's going to be behind closed doors and then but the city fans had all paid to go to Russia and they were like well you know this is ridiculous and then a bunch of Moscow fans were let in anyway you know what i mean like it was right. so this it's it's kind of like there's been lots of lots of little things but when they kind of accrete together it becomes a kind of an ongoing complex and and you know the way once you develop a complex about something everything seems to be related to it and everything irritates it and aggravates it so it seems like that's that's what's going on but i don't know um it's kind of like the 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 notion that city fans would then be like oh we don't care about the champions league anyway is is silly like i mean it's it's the only thing that the manager cares about <laughs> and it's kind of you know if you ask the players 100% of them i think would say that's the trophy they want to win next season so to kind of grumble and crap about it. I mean, this is it just this is the only Champions League there is. So, you know, let's not pretend that it doesn't matter because it matters more than all the other trophies. I can't believe we haven't got into the second biggest story of the Premier League weekend. You did mention the man's name earlier on, Rafael Benitez. Maybe, yeah. Ken, maybe Rafael failed to get the best out of Luka Modric, but boy, has he got the best out of John Joe Shelby and the best oh. of that Newcastle team. You were saying earlier on... Um, Owen was saying earlier, was it Simon talking about De Bruyne? Simon was like, we've got to talk about De Bruyne the way he hits these, like it's different the way he hits the ball. How does he shoot the ball around? Every pass is like, Poof. And Owen said, the second best passer in the Premier League. After the king of the golf course. The king of the golf. And the king of the mid-range to long-range passing. John Joe Shelby. <laughs> he hit one yesterday where he lifted himself up off the ground. It was one actually in the build-up to the winning goal, if I remember it correctly. Yeah. And just planted it so hard that he lifted himself up off the ground. Um, the difference between John Joe Shelby and Kevin De Bruyne is De Bruyne might have chased that ball on a bit. Shelby was happy enough to hang back yeah. and, and uh, trot forward. You don't want to crowd the penalty area. But that gave it a lovely shot from behind the goal when the ball when the goal was eventually scored. You just see him putting up his hands in, in triumph yeah. his arms. He has been very well. The Newcastle games I've seen, he's been absolutely brilliant. And that's a brilliant uh, achievement by Rafa Benitez. It is. That, that was set up from the start of the season for him to be sacked midway through Fans revolt, all that kind of stuff. He was he spent the preseason having a go as an owner for not investing any money in a team that badly needed investment, and yet somehow it's all been kept together <laughs> on a, on a bit of a thread. And now they're safe. Yeah, he's. A, I mean, Benitez is a good manager. He always has been, but this is the first time in a long time that he's been managing a club that doesn't spend money. And you know, he he has complained about it a lot. Mm. But he hasn't sort of really gone the extra mile in his complaints in the manner that he did at Liverpool and Inter, where he got so angry that he started doing kind of self-defeating things or, or kind of daring, daring the the board to sack him. Like wearing his ridiculous tracksuit. The tracksuit. You know, if you want brilliant. me to coach, I'll just coach. Oh, I'm going to wear this tracksuit, which is five <laughs> sizes too big, and the sleeves are drooping over my the ends of my arms. I'm going to wave the arms around to make it look more ridiculous because apparently I'm just a coach and I don't have any input into signings. But that that was maybe he has he settled down a little bit. You know, it's it's a really interesting situation there because, like Benitez is popular with the crowd who kind of appreciate. Okay, here's this guy is actually a good manager. Like we, with this guy gives us a chance of having a well-organized team. God knows who they'd appoint if 
if Rafa was gone, God knows who the next manager would be. Please, hey Rafa, please. And I think he kind of appreciates this, especially having been like, like laughed out of Real Madrid for being, you know, like too ugly. You know, get out of our mm. club. You know, you can't tell us how to pass the ball. You know, uh, you know, get get out of here. Shit on a stick. You know, that was the that was the. Uh, that was the phrase that Valdano attached to Mourinho and Benitez, which mm-hmm. you know people could remember. And then to go to somewhere where actually people are like, no, this guy's a seriously good manager. So he kind of, even though Ashley is giving him almost nothing, uh, I mean, they spent, when I say almost nothing, I mean, they spent 36 million, they, they, they recouped like 26. So they spent like 10 million to stay in the Premier League at a time when Premier League clubs have never been more profitable, never been making more money. You know, it is. There's a lot of clubs around them. I mean, Everton, for instance, who are one place ahead of them, who've who've had massive investment. So, it's it's a it's a terrific achievement. The que- the question now is is whether Benitez is going to stick with it or whether he's going to be a, a bit realistic and say, "Can I do this again?" You know, I, we managed to do it this time, but can we actually do it again? Or am I going to am I going to go down with this ship if if I if I allow myself to believe that? Personally, I hope that he does st- stick with it. Because, you know, there's no point in, I mean, give it a go. What else are you going to do? Well, he, he might think, he might think, well, maybe I can manage somebody, I don't know, AC Milan. Who knows? But uh, the teams that aren't the top six between them and the top are Everton, Leicester, Burnley. Mm. Like, are they massive promotions on Newcastle? I mean, obviously, he can coach other places other than England. but Arsenal. I mean, Arsenal are hardly going to give Rafa Benitez the job, are they? Well, I don't know. I mean, they lost him yesterday, and he complimented the hell out of them. So, quid's <laughs> uh, in. That's two of three done. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Karen. Thanks, million, for listening. We'll talk to you on the World Service. Bye bye. Second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those.